that it's better to copy genius than create mediocrity. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, I'm excited because we've got Ben Kogut on the phone. Ben has been in commercial real estate for 16 years, where he became the youngest CCIM in the state of Texas. And today, he is a partner and head of investor relations at HGH Investments. And HGH Investments specializes in finding and acquiring credit tenant double net or triple net properties within the United States. And so Ben's here to really talk to us about all things commercial real estate. So I'll just stop there and say, Ben, welcome to the show. Yeah, Matt, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And for people not on video or not seeing the video, you look very presidential today. I'm digging it. Thank you. Thank you. I happen to be in uh, California at a uh, commercial real estate conference uh, for the next couple of days. And so I just got to sneak out to join you on this podcast. So it's good times. Awesome. Well, we like to start everybody with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? Hands down, my favorite ice cream is from Texas. It's Bluebell. Uh, it's it's a combination of cookies and cream and chocolate chip cookie dough, and they call it a cookie two-step. So it comes in a blue container, and it's absolutely delicious. And my girlfriend, who's extremely healthy, uh, does not approve of such foods, but they're delicious anyways. Yeah, I, I'm smiling from ear to ear because I lived in Austin for about two years, and but I was there when they had the uh, Bluebell shortage. Do you remember that? Yeah, they Listeria hit, got hit, <laughs> and so people freaked out. But just like when uh, Chipotle got hit with yeah. some uh, health issues, everyone forgets about it because it's delicious. And it's so, that good. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, do you like uh, do you like toppings or no toppings? What kind of what kind of ice cream uh, do you like there? I'm, I'm a Heath guy. Let's throw some Heath on there. Okay, I like it. I like it. So tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Yeah, so I'm blessed. I get to, uh, I'm a partner in a commercial real estate syndication firm. And our niche, kind of like you mentioned, is buying shopping centers, office buildings, and industrial properties. And my role in the team is investor relations, which basically means that I get to teach people about investing in commercial real estate, about earning passive income, and giving them opportunities to, to become partners in, in the projects that we syndicate. And uh, it's absolutely the, the best thing that I've ever done in my career. I love it. Well, how did your real estate journey begin? Yeah, so after graduating from the University of Texas in 2004, I got right into commercial real estate as an agent slash broker, helping uh, people buy and sell commercial real estate projects around the country, or, or primarily in Texas, but also around the country. And that uh, that journey took me uh, on the path towards getting my MBA. So I went back to school and got my MBA in 2010 and 11, and then um, started making money. And I was looking for opportunities to, to earn passive income for myself. And I started coming to actually this conference I'm at right now, called the Society of Exchange Counselors, introduced me to the idea of, of exchanging. And so I, I met my now business partner, Corey Harkle Road at this meeting, and uh, I, made, I made an investment with him through, he had a project and, and I made an investment and I understood. And now after having jumped in, like there's just something different about it. When you actually get involved in a project, you, you just start to understand things a lot better as opposed to just having someone tell you about it. And then from that point on, I, I started uh, uh, drinking the Kool-Aid that I now serve, so to speak. Or the, I started eating the ice cream that I now get to make. <laughs> 
And um, yeah, it's just it's just been so many blessings. And and we've we've bought when I started uh, with Corey, we had about one hundred fifty million dollars worth of assets under management. And uh, now we have about three hundred fifty million dollars worth of assets. And and I've, I'm now promoted. I'm now completely in charge of all uh, capital raising for HJH investments. And um, yeah, we're definitely having a lot of fun. That's a heck of a journey and congratulations on your success there. When you first got out and you said you started as a commercial broker? Correct. Did you do anything in residential or just straight commercial from the start? Yeah, I, I knew right out of the gate uh, that I wanted to be involved in commercial real estate. It's a different mentality. It's more business oriented, less, oh, I don't like the color and I don't like the style and that layout. It's more, okay, show me the numbers, you know. For us, what we like to invest in are, uh, or what they all pretty much have in common amongst our portfolio are real estate that has a high credit tenant with a long-term lease already in place. So we can uh, use financial calculations to predict um, almost to the penny sometimes what the cash flows are going to look like for the foreseeable future. And so that allows us to make a, a better more informed uh, investment decision. And uh, that, that's why we've been able to scale to, to, this, to the size that we have in a short period of time. You know, I, I find uh, maybe you talk to many people that do syndication, AKA raising capital to go out and buy certain types of real estate. What, what I'm seeing, and maybe you see something different is most of the people that syndicate are buying apartment complexes or mobile home parks or something like that, which is great. I'm not here to bash that. There's a lot of opportunity in that sort of um, sector. But for us, we like uh, the stability that comes with a really great high quality tenant that has high credit, that has already committed to a long-term lease. And that's that's where we start our search. And um, yeah, it's it's just, it's it's uh, it's been great. Yeah. So can you um, maybe break that down for our listeners a little bit further? So on the residential side, we're talking like single family houses, we're talking multifamily, we're talking mobile home parks, but on the commercial side, I know there's retail, there's industrial, there's warehousing. Can you kind of tell us a little bit more about what uh, encompasses a commercial tenant? Yeah. So one of the most important differentiators is the lease and the lease structure. And in commercial real estate, especially with like retail office and industrial, uh, it's usually structured where the tenant is going to be responsible not only for paying the rent, but also for the, the jargon is triple nets. And triple nets, for those of you, your listeners that don't know, uh, are is the net, 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 that's the triple, of the taxes, the insurance, and the maintenance. And so what that means is that if, if the ta- property taxes go up, the tenant is going to absorb that and pay that. Uh, same thing with the maintenance, uh, you know, landscaping or roof leaks or whatever. The tenant oftentimes is going to pay for that and the property insurance. And so as opposed to those other asset classes you mentioned, like multifamily or mobile home parks or whatever storage, the tenant usually pays their monthly rent. And then the landlord is responsible for those other types of expenses. For us, you know, it makes it a, a more of a stable cash flowing asset. And it allows us to structure a deal to be able to provide our investors a monthly dividend. And so uh, we know on like the after the first month of ownership, we're able to distribute dividends to our investors and um, people that are, you know, looking for, to have more of a passive income portfolio that's pretty consistent. 
um, you know, they, they like that kind of thing, including yeah. myself. Yeah, I would say that triple nets are definitely bonds wrapped in real estate, essentially, because once you offset the taxes, the maintenance, the insurance, the et cetera, then you really are just netting the rent. And a quick story I'll tell on that is I'm in Nashville. I own several properties in Nashville. Nashville had a 30% hike on their property taxes this past year, which on paper doesn't seem like a ton until you get that tax bill and you see what it does to your, uh, uh, your, your mortgage payments each month. And that took away a lot of my cash flowing assets into making them barely cash flow positive. So knowing that a tenant could take on that responsibility would have been huge there. You brought up quality tenant and tenant credit worthiness uh, a couple of times. Can you help us understand like, what does that mean? Who are you looking for that fits that profile? Yeah, we've recently bought real estate occupied by a Walgreens or a Dollar Tree or a grocery store or um, an engineering firm. Uh, now, recently, we've been buying uh, medical office buildings. So these are tenants that, um, you know, like like you said, they have they have high credit, aka they can afford to pay the rent and the obligation of the lease that they have signed. And so that gives us and our lenders, because we do borrow money from the bank to be able to buy these properties, gives us more, you know, consistent stability. Um, knowing that uh, they're going to be able to pay the rent we, because we structure our deals where we pay our investors. So we need to have that, um, that consistency throughout the project to be able to do that. Do you do any kind of like uh, um, shopping malls or retail or anything like that? Yeah. So let's, uh, so shopping mall um, is, you know, gives you the idea of like a big indoor shopping center. So that's, that's not what we do. Okay. Uh, that's a different asset class, but we do, um, you know, typical like a strip center or grocery anchored shopping center. And what what I'm seeing is, you know, some people will say, oh, retail's dead. Well, drive around your neighborhood. Does it look like your shopping centers are empty? And in most cases in today's market, uh, the answer is no. And so what I would say is I'd say like, first of all, I'm, I would always steer away from making a broad statement about anything or anyone in general. But, um, you know, I think retail, you know, the secret's out about Amazon. And when you go and you look at these, you know, shopping centers, you don't really go shopping there so much anymore, except with a grocery store. That's an exception. You know, you're usually going there to go to a restaurant or a bar or to go to the doctor or dentist or get your nails done or, you know, some kind of service, things that are, um, you know, not going to be kicked down, hopefully, by Amazon, right? So things have definitely pivoted in our industry. Uh, we track those types of things extremely closely. And, uh, you know, having, you know, 15, 16 years of experience personally, plus the rest of my team, you know, we know what to look for when we're trying to acquire these types of assets. I think that Amazon is definitely very disruptive, right? But there's certain businesses that Amazon won't disrupt, at least immediately, so where you go get your oil changed, where you grab your cup of coffee, where you go to a restaurant, sometimes groceries, even though I love ordering some Instacart because I hate going to the grocery store, like those stores are going to need to still be around. And to your point, they have the credit worthiness and the balance sheet to absorb a lot of those taxes, insurance and, and, uh, and maintenance and things like that. So you, you recently wrote a book on your website around the five things to consider when investing in a syndication. And I kind of wanted to just go through a couple of those. Could you, um, the, the, you had goals, diversify criteria, track record, and then cash now is better than cash later. And yeah. I want to talk about that last one specifically, because 
that is so monumental in your thought process around investing is that cash today is worth more than cash tomorrow. Can you maybe expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, so that was inspired by a Harvard professor that I read about named Bill Solomon, and he, he calls it the four rules of cash. And you hit on you hit on a very important one, which is cash now is better than cash later. And uh, I go into a little bit more depth on it, but basically it's more or less about the the time value of money. And but for you, like for you as an investor, what are your goals? You know, some people are totally fine with putting money in, letting the sponsor, you know, renovate the apartments or whatever they're doing. And three years later, they exit and they get their money back. So you don't see your money for three years. That's Again, I'm not here. There's nothing wrong with that. But for me personally, I'm looking for monthly passive income, income that, you know, is what I can live on. And um, so, yeah, so being able to invest in something where, you know, uh, basically the next month you're going to start seeing passive income is that's an example of cash now is better than cash later. Right. Um, less risky. Another rule is less risky cash is more important than risky cash. Right. And, and, Again, like risk is is okay, risk in my opinion, but it has to be there has to be a reward for the risk. You you want to make sure that the that those the risk reward is is in alignment, right? What else do we talk about? Uh, we talk about more cash is better than less cash, and we get into a little bit more depth about that. And then the, the rule number four, which is the most important rule, is never run out of cash. Yeah. So we we I talk a little bit about how you want to have reserves. Uh, intentionally set aside for each of the property because you never know. You didn't, you know, we didn't know that a pandemic was going to hit, right? And so we had the reserves sitting there just in case to be able to have the flexibility to give our tenants the opportunity to either, you know, some of them wanted to defer rent or, uh, uh, you know, cancel the rent. I mean, there was a lot of different scenarios that we had with our tenants. Uh, luckily, um, we've we've actually done. Ex- Better, better than I would have expected. And uh, that's a blessing and it's a great market right now. And, and we're, we're looking forward to, to more, more of this. Yeah, I, I smiled when you said that less risky cash and cash better today is better than cash tomorrow because I personally am not really into investing in developments. I'm not saying you can't make it work. I'm not saying you can't make a boatload of money there. It's just you're punting your risk timeline. So a development that hasn't broken ground yet, you've got five years of stability that you need to happen before you can get your good exit. And you might even get a better exit than if you had invested in something that gets you cash today. But knowing that you can get that consistent cash stream back allows you to divert it into other things and kind of de- divest your risk profile. Any thoughts or comments on on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I first of all, I always advise people to uh, diversify their portfolio. So I, I don't have any absolute statements about these types of things. I think uh, it's great to uh, invest in things that are riskier with potentially high returns and things that are less risky with lower returns, just as long as it's in alignment. Uh, and then I also think that, you know, development deals also um, can be, a, there's a place for it in my portfolio. I've invested in development deals and, um, but it, it, it's all a balance, in my opinion. So really, like, it's it's taking a kind of a step back, and and really only you and maybe your financial advisor are going to be fully aware of what your situation is. But yeah, 
I like to have these types of conversations as well with, with my investors, just to kind of have a, a feel for where are they at with, with their portfolio, what are their goals and so on and so forth. And so I spend quite a bit of time with uh, investors, either existing or potential to kind of have that conversation to understand what their expectations are and, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I want to ask a uh, transition real quick and ask about tenant and observing risk there. So in residential, it's really the credit profile of a single tenant. But in commercial, it seems like a lot of different things like exclusivity and the language of the contract, percentage of sales that maybe a quick service restaurant gets and things like that. Without giving away your secret sauce, how do you kind of look at your tenants when you're going into a port, uh, a an acquisition and de-risk those tenants or that situation. Yeah. So are, are you familiar with the phrase of unit economics? A little bit. Yeah. But yeah, just want to learn just, more. Yeah. Real basic. Um, looking at if, if the tenant sells widgets either as a product or a service, you know, how many widgets do they have to sell in order to break even? What is the profit margin on those sales and so on and so forth? In other words, how many, are they able to sell enough of their product to be able to afford the rent that they are current contractually obligated to pay? And so um, some tenants will, will get in more detail on those types of unit economics on their business model. Some tenants that are just real, real big, like Walgreens, for example, like we, we don't necessarily need to get into that nitty gritty. It's um, more on a, you know, we'll look at other aspects of the the credit and the deal itself a little bit closer. But um, but as far as like tenants that uh, maybe not be publicly traded, like trying to dig into those unit economics is, is what's going to enlighten us as to whether or not they're really a fit for what we're trying to achieve. Gotcha. And is there any best tips or practices around uh, lease negotiations that you have with your tenants. So I've heard of things like blend and extend, where you actually lower the rate, but you extend out the terms and things like that. Any any best practices there? Um, well, I, I think in in all aspects of business, I think building relationships, is, you know, is going to be the most important. Being aware of you know, how are they doing? You know, is this a good location for them? What are their pain points right now? What can we as a landlord do to help them be successful? Because, um, at, you know, when they're a tenant, we're, we're on the same team. We're trying to make sure that that they are successful. But as far as lease negotiations occur, I mean, yeah, blend and extend is a pretty popular uh, tool to be able to, you know, extend the lease that adds value because of cap rate compression. But in another type of cycle that that may not be uh, the right way to, or it depends on what your goals are really. Like, is this something that you're just going to blend and extend and try to flip out of it? Uh, with us, we're, we're long-term holders. So that's not always necessarily what it, what we're trying to achieve. Well, we'll transition now into our last five questions. We're calling these the five toppings. The first one is what is your favorite book or what is something that you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Yeah. So, uh, Gary Keller wrote a book called the one thing. And by far that, that was what was a shift for me to be able to focus on what I do now, raising capital for commercial real estate syndications. And truly anybody that knows me knows that I'm just having the best time of my life right now. I want to nerd out after this podcast and talk about that because I get shiny object syndrome too much. I've read the book. I've tried to implement it. I've reread the book and I am terrible at it. So I, I, I would look for some guidance there, um, but it's a fantastic book for sure. 
The, mm -hmm. the second one is I believe the person you'll become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits you do every single day. What's something you do every single day? Uh, I'm a very fit individual. So working out, uh, whether it be a run or uh, working out here, I'm in a hotel room right now. Just uh, I do like a push up, sit up, squat combination. Uh, I take all sorts of vitamins every day. Yeah. I try to meditate daily. I would say that's more of like an every other day kind of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I call my mom all the time. So I love it. Uh, all the above, I recommend. Push-ups, vitamins, and calls with your mom. The way call to success. <laughs> she wants to hear from you. Um, our third one is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? So one piece of advice that I think about often um, I believe was quoted by Walter Haley, who I learned in high school. And the quote is that it's better to copy genius than create mediocrity. And that resonates deeply with me because I, I've been able to get pretty far in my career by studying underneath uh, some really wonderful mentors, uh, including my business partner, Corey Harkleroad and Jason Mittman and uh, David Kahn and some really wonderful people that uh, are in my life. And, and I, I, yeah, so copy genius. I'm not saying don't create. I'm just saying it's, it's better to copy genius. Yeah, I, I went on this big track uh, not too long ago. And there's this book out there that talks about like great artists steal. And they were basically just talking about how you just throw your little spin on somebody else's work. And that's what moves the ball forward in our society on information, creativity, and all that. So uh, I use that with my sales team a lot. So good salespeople copy, great salespeople steal. So I can dig it. Our fourth one is, what's the thing you're most proud of in your life? Yeah. So first thing that comes to mind is, is family. Uh, my father, my grandfather, just the way that they have um, they, they both built their own types of businesses, um, not, not in real estate, just my dad's a dentist. And my grandfather was in the liquor business and did it with such integrity and, and just great reputation and success and hard work. And it really, they really set a wonderful example for me, uh, on a side note, fun little story. My dad just sold his dental practice at the age of 69. And instead of retiring, he decided to, he's now gone back to school to become uh, an architect. He's getting his master's in architecture and really just a lifelong learner and hard worker and passionate about architecture. And he intends on helping dentists design dental practices and at the age of 69. So um, anyways, it's never too late to start and, and, and just, you know, follow your dreams. Follow your passions. I love it. I love it. Um, our last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? So the first thing that came to mind was Elon Musk, just with the amount of pioneering vision and scalability and just how he's on top of some incredible world changing companies. I would just love to be able to sit down and pick his brain uh, for as long as he would allow me to do so. Yeah, for sure. I, I love it because one of the things that I think people misunderstand about Tesla is it's not a car company, it's an energy company. And really what he's doing is trying to create energy and batteries by selling cars. He gets cash to create batteries, which will take him to Mars. And it's, I, it's, it's genius. I hope he lives long enough to see a lot of what he's thinking about out because like, that's, that's my biggest fear is I've got these things that I see going on in the world and I just want to see how they'll play out. And he's actually doing it. So I don't think we've had that on the show yet. And, and I, I respect the answer. 
Well, Ben, this has been a fantastic conversation. If our listeners wanted to find out more about you or get connected with HGH Investments, where could we point them? Yeah, so hjhinvestments.com slash book is a great place to start if you're looking to learn more about commercial real estate syndication. Easy to find on all the socials at Ben Kogut, last name is spelled K-O-G-U-T, and happy to connect with anybody that wants to learn more. Awesome. And we'll have those in the description. And I want to apologize. I said G, J, those are two tough, tough letters at the end of a Monday here. But thank you so much for your time, Ben, and hope to have you back on soon. My pleasure. Thanks so much, man. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.